Hello and welcome to Centre for Mental Health's podcast. Centre for Mental Health challenges policies, systems and society so that everyone can have better mental health. I'm Thea Joshi and in each episode I speak to people with experience of mental health difficulties, someone working in a specific area or a member of our team about mental health and social justice. And this month I chatted with Kadra Abdenasir as Associate Director of Policy here at the Centre. And we discussed a new study we've done looking at how racism and racial trauma affect parents and teenagers and the relationships between them. We unpacked the concept of trauma a little bit more and also talked about why tackling racism is such a critical part of building a mentally healthier nation. And if you appreciate our work, we'd love your support. You can donate to our work using the link in the show notes. Hope you enjoy. So welcome Kadra Abdenasir to our podcast. It's so lovely to have you here with me. Hi Thea, I'm looking forward to speaking to you today. Thank you so much for joining us today. There is a lot going on here. We are actually recording on World Mental Health Day, the 10th of October. Um, Obviously, this won't be going live, but that is the context we're recording in. And it's also the day we have launched a new briefing with yourself and Yasmin Amadzadeh from King's College London, all about intergenerational racial trauma. So it's fair to say we've not gone for anything light on World Mental Health Day. We are talking about real systemic issues here, but I'm so glad that you're here to join us and talk to us all about it today. Yeah, no, um, really important paper, very timely. It's also Black History Month as well. So lots of discussions, I think, around mental health, race and the intersections around that. So yeah, it's great to put this out after a year plus worth of work around it. Yeah, so I'll ask you a bit more about the work in a moment, but I guess just to put it in context for our listeners, we did, as you say, do this work or at least start this work uh, last year in partnership with Kings and with Yasmin. And um, we just really wanted to hear from uh, young people and parents about their experiences of racism and the impact that that has on the mental health of the whole family. So do you want to tell us a little bit more about that? So um, just a bit of background, firstly, in terms of the the project and where it came from. So um, this was funded by the Emerging Minds Network, which is part of this um, UK research and innovation like network of networks, if you like. And uh, the purpose of it really was to like drive research on mental health of children and young people. And we at the centre were working closely with Professor Kathy Creswell at Oxford University, who leads it. And a lot of this is just really recognising the sort of gaps in data and evidence relating to children, young people's mental health more broadly. This project was funded by a specific stream of work looking at generating research on voices, power and attitudes in young people's mental health. So we partnered up with Yasmin because she was a sort of early career researcher at the time, um, having finished her PhD, to think about developing an idea around this. And like we were really keen to like explore experiences of racial trauma and intergenerational trauma from a sort of UK context. We can say a little bit more about that later. But also another great thing about this project was that it was mostly uh, all people of colour-led team, uh, a mix of postdoctorates and undergraduates at King's University. And on our side, myself, uh, my former colleagues Hung and Alex as well were involved in this. So it was also a way of like really highlighting the importance of having people from racialized backgrounds lead research and trying to make that research a bit more sort of like relevant to communities. So, so that's yeah. sort of like the the background and context um so basically it's a qualitative study because we didn't have a huge budget or time as well 
So we ran some focus groups with 14 teenagers and 14 parents and carers from across England. They weren't necessarily related to one another. I think only one young person and parent were from the same family. But we asked them all about their sort of like experiences of racism, how they felt it impacted themselves, their mental health, but also importantly, like how it impacted parent to child relations and vice versa. So just trying to see the ways that that affected parenting and familial sort of like interactions and support. Thanks, that's super helpful background. And so what what were the main things that you were hearing from the parents and teenagers involved? So the main sort of message, and it's not a surprise to us really, is that experiences of racism are really rampant and prevalent and they occur across like multiple levels. So thinking about it from the sort of institutional level, right the way through to like, Uh, the profound impacts of internalized racism on young people and parent mental health as well. And another sort of like key message is that experiencing racism was traumatizing for them. So when we're talking about trauma and racial trauma, it's really important to like recognize there's the direct experiences that the young people and the parents might face, but Mm -hmm. they also carry this through histories, through their legacies, through communities and all of that. And that that has a massive impact on them as well. And, you know, there's a growing sort of like recognition of like like racism as form of trauma or yeah. as a form of adversity in the same way experiencing, you know, conflict or abuse and all those other things can be traumatized for people. But um, yeah, they told us lots about the way racism affects them in different scenarios or different settings, whether that's in school, their interactions uh, with, from the parent perspective in the world of work, those types of things and for us I think it really helps build on some of our previous research that we've had for example on young black men's mental health and our young change makers program is something that's come out like the racism in the education system but also I guess for the first time we sort of were able to explore how discussions about racism happen within households and within families as well so really thinking about how difficult it is to navigate those discussions between parent and child, um, that fine balance between sort of like preparing their child for the inevitability that some people think that you will face racism and it's always happening versus like protecting your child. Obviously, over the last few years, since 2020, we've been having lots of conversations about racism and you know, obviously coming from a racialized background or within racialized communities, like that challenge around like having the talk with your child to prepare them for the world being very difficult. But parents also shared some of their, you know, coping strategies around that. And that sort of thing came up. We can talk about that a bit more. But in terms of like the mental health impacts of all of these things, like uh, it was, you know, very sad and sobering to actually hear a lot of this, you know, hearing about mm. um, how it feels, feelings of like anxiety fear for them um sadness but also being very hyper vigilant and not knowing like who to trust even you know from authorities and services that should be there to protect them and then interestingly they raise some wider factors that can make some of these experiences even more challenging or can protect them in the future so um intersectionality was a huge thing that came up so really thinking about how the experiences of racism might be compounded by disability discrimination or um, discrimination on the basis of their immigration status and that Mm. making it quite hard to sort of you know maneuver these situations but on the positive um, side of things I guess just a sense from parents and to a certain extent from young people really recognizing the generational shifts in attitudes and like being able to sort of like um, challenge call things out call for solutions so there was that sort of sense of hope that came out too. 
Wow, thanks so much for um, a bit of a whistle-stop tour of some of those findings. Obviously, we will put a link in the show notes to the full briefing, to our news pages and videos and further information. And, and what struck me reading through the briefing and, and working on it is, well, two things from what you just said. So one was, you know, obviously speaking from a place of total white privilege, just the fact that so many, when white people deny racism or the prevalence of racism, you know, even just the fact of you talking about you know, parents having to prepare their children to go into a world that is racist is just something that white people and white children just never have to worry about, you know, and just the fact that that is a daily part of life and of bringing up children in this world is is obviously like so tragic and awful and and but just so important for us to hear as well. And like, of course, that is going to then have a massive impact on people's mental health and general sense of well-being. Right. And I, I mean, obviously it goes without saying, but we're not talking always here about kind of clinical mental illness although obviously we know that racism does make you more likely to experience a mental health problem but also just general sense of well-being and as you say hope and Mm -hmm. hope for the future and opportunities and all of these things so that was one thing obviously that's incredibly hard another thing I think that is really moving and powerful in the briefing is there's a couple of quotes of parents talking to their children and obviously again this is hard but it's there's also something beautiful in there you know this person saying you know I understand you don't feel comfortable but this is who you are and as you get older you're going to have to love yourself and and another one I'll just read that says you know we're black but that shouldn't limit you you shouldn't draw back on your expression if you feel you need to express yourself express yourself don't let them shut you up those quotes from parents and obviously that's in the face of trauma and oppression so it's really hard but there's something really powerful about hearing that as well yeah, absolutely. And just on your first point, obviously, people may have seen the recent like case of the um, young girl in Ireland with the gymnastics sort of competition. And again, like you can just see the not, I don't want to use the word naivety to a certain extent, but you can see the sort of like innocence in that whole situation from her perspective, just waiting there patiently to like mm-hmm. be given her medal. But, you know, she's not like she didn't have to look like, oh, here we go. <laughs> it's racism again. In a way, it's just like, okay, maybe like surely it's a mistake that they, you know, just bypassed me and they didn't yeah. see me. It's sad, but, you know, we don't want to have to like prepare a young person to say, no, you have to like always defend your <laughs> defend yourself against racism. Make sure you spot it, call it out every single time because it's, it's very difficult. So yeah, I mean, yeah. that's just like a real life example of how these things play out. And, you know, it affected, like, it just resonated with so many people of colour around the world, like such a sort of like rallying call for accountability from the institution yeah. around that. And yeah, just that yeah. that balance between innocence and like equipping them with the right knowledge yeah. is is very difficult. Yeah. And I know that the briefing also talked about things like parents kind of considering, oh, is it safe for them to go to this person's house? Or is this a safe environment for my child? Well, you know, will they be kind of safe, almost this idea of safe against racism, even though we know we can't actually protect Mm -hmm. children from that. But that and 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 also things around approaches like, okay, I'm just going to make sure that my child, you know, is is really achieving better than average to kind of protect, seek to protect children from, you know, various forms of racism. Mm-hmm. yeah work twice as hard I'm sure everyone has heard that before <laughs> well it needs yeah. saying and I think yeah without laboring the point I think for us in terms of our comms work it's kind of like well one of the key findings is that racism is really bad for our mental health and for us as an organization we can feel like well people know that and it's like well people some people do know that but equally the message clearly isn't getting through 
because yeah. until the government take a cross-government strategy to tackling racism in all its forms, until they take it seriously, we have to keep saying it because clearly it's not going through. And, you know, similarly, a couple of weeks ago, we launched a major report uh, with lots of other charities about building a mentally healthier nation and what we want political parties to put in their manifestos. But equally, again, you cannot tackle mental health and poor mental health without tackling things like racism. You know, we we, we know this and it, we feel like we kind of keep banging on about it, but clearly it's not loud enough yet. So no, definitely. And the thing is, because people don't want to like confront the reality of it and, you know, and everything that comes with it, because then there's wider conversations in society that we need to have to really have like a more sort of equitable society, don't we? So it feels like it's the hard thing to do, but actually in the longer term, it's the most beneficial for sort of like all aspects of health care, well-being and public yeah. services, really. Not, not you know, obviously withstanding the individual benefits as well. So also I wanted to ask you about, you know, obviously this research is not like the first of its kind. So why would you say it's, it's so important at, at this point in time? Yeah, so absolutely, it's not it's it's not the first of its kind. There's a lot of like literature looking at intergenerational trauma and and inter intergenerational racial trauma, but I would say this is a lot more sort of robust and developed abroad. So mainly in the U.S. within the context of the Holocaust as well, there's been a lot of sort of literature around generational trauma as a result of you know all of those atrocities there. But in the UK, there's actually very limited research onto these experiences. I think, obviously, there's general generalizable findings from international studies that are also applicable within the UK context. But people from racialized backgrounds here have like somewhat different experiences, different histories, yeah. um, migration to the UK and that sort of thing. So I think there's also nuances that need to be explored. And then also the sort of like political and economic context that we exist in within the UK at the moment. So really thinking about how austerity conversations around Brexit, current sort of political debates around immigration impacts people, you know, specifically in unique ways in the UK. So that's something we kind of wanted to shed a bit of light on, but we think there's still so much more to do to really unpack that a bit further and yeah just think about how to make some of the recommendations and solutions out there a bit more fit for purpose within the UK context so that was also one of our aims to kind of like add to that growing body of evidence and yeah a good book I would recommend is um, Living While Black by Ghislaine Kinawani so she's a black psychologist who actually did quite a lot of like really great summaries of the literature on racial trauma globally and then she tried to like um, draw out some of the ways that is relevant within the UK context. I think she's French by background so she kind of looks at France and the UK as well so um, I'd really recommend that. It's a great read. That's super helpful thank you and again we will drop a link to that in the show notes and I'd like to read that myself as well so thanks for the book Greg. Can lend it to you. (laughs) Oh wonderful. (laughs) Um, Yeah I think I think just echoing what you've said and obviously you know we're recording this the week after the Tory party conference and some of the really really disturbing rhetoric that was coming out there about uh, migration immigrants race and racism and and also you know the current context we're aware of in terms of both 
intersections with poverty and the cost of living crisis and also just major really stark racial inequalities in mental health it just feels like this work is so so necessary and and timely and so I'm really pleased that we were able to be part of this and and to keep shedding light on the fact that actually yes this is this is definitely a UK issue as well in our own specific UK context um, but that it does mirror a lot of what we've seen across the world in previous studies as well. It's interesting, I know earlier we touched on racial trauma and this briefing is about the impact of intergenerational racial trauma. Yeah, I feel like trauma is, is being talked about, it's, it's much more part of our kind of everyday language and narratives uh, in life. And so I guess, you know, not assuming that we're all on the same page with it, and I know I'm probably not myself, but like, how, how would you go about trying to explain and describe this massive topic of, of trauma just briefly for us? Big question. Um, I guess there's a bit of a essentially contested concept in a way, because I think people have different understandings and, you know, even trauma informed is understood in different ways. And that's actually something we're exploring at the center um, Mm. at the moment through a different project. But I think like, obviously, is for me, it's like experiencing some sort of traumatic incident or situation or um, some form of like adversity so it can range from like facing racism experiencing sort of like um, sexual abuse for example it's you know often related to these kind of unjust events or experiences that people have sometimes they can be a one-off thing and direct sometimes it can be an indirect thing so thinking about how conflict might be affecting a traumatic experience for people who are in the diaspora, for example. So it's it's quite complicated. I think our understanding of it is evolving. But I think one thing that everyone's on the same page is, is that like the sort of um, assessments and definitions of the past are not as relevant to, to today's world because there's all sorts of things that are traumatic for people. So thinking about, for example, bereavement, again, that wasn't necessarily understood in the context of trauma in the past it was like something that just happened but if you're a child and lost a parent to a very you know yeah. under very sudden sort of circumstances that is mm. you know of course traumatizing and yeah I think you know really understanding and appreciating people's sort of unique experiences around it like it, I think I find it very hard to like define yeah if I'm yeah. honest with you yeah practitioners may think otherwise and there's all sorts of like definitions and tools that are helpful in like helping us understand it that's a really helpful explanation just so we're so we're roughly in in the right place roughly in the same place on that I think yeah I just think it's helpful because I I think sometimes trauma is conflated with PTSD or PTSD we just label that after anything it's again it's just like a little note on language that sometimes as our understanding develops that's really good but it kind of gets misused or misplaced and that actually doesn't help us to really communicate what's going on Mm -hmm. emotionally or whatever so that's that's a helpful just a little a little note there thank you as we kind of think about all of this stuff and I know it's such a massive topic to try and fit into a podcast but I guess I'd love to sort of know what what you think are the key things that need to happen to really take action on this we've we've looked at how racism is is a traumatic experience and how it has this intergenerational impact across different parts and members of the family and different levels what does it look like for people to sit up and and really take action on this I suppose from a sort of like research perspective. So we, in our briefing, we set out recommendations for research policy and practice. So I can give a bit of a summary. In terms of like research, obviously we want to see greater investment into research into this area. 
and ideally research led by people of color as well and people from racialized backgrounds so that the research is more authentic and there's more sort of community-led research as well in the space so it doesn't all have to be like super academic I even think um, Yasmin and the guys at King's use like um, an artist to help facilitate one of the workshops and they did this like one of the first sessions where people are talking about racism I must find those images for you and send it to you <laughs> at some point because it was beautiful so thinking about really alternative ways of conducting research in this area because we were very conscious that even asking people to share their very intimate experiences with us can be re-traumatizing for people so research that is relevant equitable and psychologically safe for people so we can get to the crux of people's experiences but fundamentally, I also think shifting the research work into like what works in practice and in action and in policy, that's a whole other sort of space that we haven't really invested that much in either. So mm. that's the sort of like research bucket of um, asks that we have um, and we've put out there to the world. Also, you touched on the sort of like strategic policy things that we, we also want to see change. So we do need the government, this current government and future governments to really commit to like tackling racism and that cross-government approach is like crucial to it because one thing we heard loud and clear from all the participants is just how it's it kind of manifests and is um, intrinsic to all types of like public systems and services. So that whole government approach, but quite specifically as well in the research, it seemed like there's quite a lot of work that's needed within education system. So we're calling on Department for Education to also think about embedding a sort of anti-racist approach in schools um, via a curriculum, via teacher training as well. And then obviously within the health system and within the NHS, really thinking about how uh, mental health support services could be co-designed and more equitable for people from racialized backgrounds who might be impacted by racial trauma so they can seek support. And then we've got like a host of different recommendations for practice as well. So again, thinking about the diversity of the workforce, thinking about ways of embedding culturally appropriate uh, responses to mental health. And obviously through this project, one of the key points is that we need to kind of take a whole family approach to these things because it's likely that these experiences might be shared within the household yeah. and the support that a young person or a parent might need you know we need that sort of like that wraparound uh, support at home too so where there's like specific family-based interventions really embedding culturally informed uh, ways of working as part of that too. Thank you so much for, for talking us through that there's there's so much there and I think just as you said at the end there the idea of taking a kind of um, whole family approach again this is not surprising but the fact is that I think we often think about racism and experiences of racism in a vacuum and like oh it's happening to that one individual person and obviously we know that's not true because racism is also systemic and institutional um but but thinking about the fact that when say a young person has an experience of of racism that that is also playing into a wider picture of their family their family's mental health the impact of previous uh, and past experiences of racism on other members of the family so again that's not like rocket science but it's not something that I think is often considered when we're talking about the impact of racism so thank you for just flagging that yeah and that reminds me um we did a piece of work for the local government association a while back looking at whole family whole household approaches to mental health 
Um, and we worked closely with leaders unlocked with um, young people and families to make sure that this guide that's available for councils to use really recognizes the different ways that different agencies can offer that whole family approach. Um, so I would recommend people checking that out who are interested. Yeah, thank you. That's super helpful. And obviously we'll also link to that in the show notes. As we draw to a close, I guess what I wanted to ask you is what I tried to put to uh, our podcast guests here on the show, which is uh, how you try and look after your own mental health in the midst of all of this. Yeah, good question. And I feel you might have asked me this before and my answer (laughs) changes every time. That's okay. That's all right. (laughs) But um, I would say I really like these days I'm trying to get my step count in because I feel working from home and that sort of thing. I'm just sat all day. So I like to listen to podcasts and go for a walk until the podcast episode finishes. So it can vary. Um, And then um, something I tried that I want to do more of uh, last month was a sound healing class, which was really cool. Yeah, so it's kind of like a combination of um, yoga, but also using like sound domes and stuff. And honestly, yeah, it just was deeply relaxing and makes you like really meditate, reflect, think about just, yeah, the healing properties of sound alone, because I think um, sometimes we take it for granted, live in in a very noisy world but um Mm. yeah it can also sort of be used to kind of like harness your energy your focus your well-being as well so yeah amazing oh Kadra thank you so much it's been a real joy to just get a bit of time to chat to you about this again as I always say like we could have chatted for ages longer and there's a million other questions I wanted to ask you but we will leave it there for now and I'm sure we will have you on the podcast again soon so yeah thank you for all of your work on this and for chatting with me today Uh, thank you too great to chat to you as always thanks for listening I really hope our conversation has inspired you in the fight for mental health equality We rely on support to fight for change, so please give what you can at centreformentalhealth.org.uk slash donate. See you next time.